I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, February 28th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... You know, this is such a rapidly evolving situation, and, you know, we have been aggressively responding to this at the Department of Health for a number of weeks now. With new documented cases of the coronavirus emerging in the United States, Mississippi officials make preparations. Then, a bill to renew the education scholarship account gets debated in the Senate. Plus, the 2020 Poetry Out Loud state champion. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Health officials in Mississippi are preparing for an outbreak of COVID-19, the disease caused by the new coronavirus. Currently, there are no known cases of the coronavirus in Mississippi. But as state epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers tells MPB's Kobe Vance, the Department of Health is expanding its monitoring of the infectious disease. Right now, there, there are no cases of COVID-19 within Mississippi. There's nobody that we're actively investigating for for COVID-19 in Mississippi. And right now, um, infection is dependent upon exposure. And that exposure really is tied to travel to one of those areas where there's ongoing transmission or direct exposure with a confirmed case. So right now, the Mississippi public is not at risk for this virus. We have no indications of person-to-person transmission within Mississippi. Um, Really, the the risk of infection is still dependent upon those exposure factors that I just described. And now how is the state uh, actually preparing, just in case this does come to the state? Yeah, we've been preparing uh, now for a number of weeks. And, you know, one of the big things we've done is with other state agencies, we've activated our emergency operations center to begin to prepare for um, if, in fact, we do have person-to-person transmission uh, within Mississippi and within the United States and what our activities will be in response to that. But, you know, we've also um, 
expanded our surveillance or our monitoring for cases so that we can provide healthcare providers with the information that they need to be able to rapidly identify individuals who may be at risk based on exposure or symptoms and um, isolate those folks so that they can limit transmission and to call us immediately. We're going to every hospital in the state to provide this level of guidance as well as infection control guidance. Um, you know, we're also doing public health messaging uh, to make sure that the public is aware of what is the current situation. We've got that information on our website. They can go to our um, Mississippi Ready app. But, you know, we're also providing information to, to businesses and, and schools, et cetera, on, on how they can prepare. And now on the other side of that, rural hospitals that may not be prepared to handle a widespread outbreak, what, can, what are they looking to do, and how are you all working with them to prepare? Well, we're, we're working to assess capacity, um, not only for their ability to um, identify and manage individuals who, who could potentially be infected with uh, COVID-19, but also to ensure that they have the appropriate infection control um, gowns, gloves, N95 mask, uh, face shield, ways that they can protect their health care workers. And as always, you know, we are only a phone call away, and we encourage hospitals and providers to call us with questions. And then lastly, as far as, like, physical needs, uh, like uh, the masks that you were talking about earlier, um, what are hospitals doing to prepare in that way for this outbreak? Well, and, and one of the things that CDC has published is guidelines for maximizing personal protective equipment or the types of equipment that healthcare providers would wear to prevent transmission to themselves. And so we're providing those guidances to the to the hospitals and to the healthcare facilities throughout the state. You know, there are some other things that CDC and NIOSH and OSHA are looking at to try to expand the shelf life of personal protective equipment as well. And so, you know, these are things that we're planning for, that we're thinking about, that we're looking towards, and we're encouraging healthcare facilities and hospitals to be taking their own assessments now as well. Dr. Paul Byers is the state epidemiologist. The University of Mississippi Medical Center is also putting procedures in place should an incoming patient show signs of transmission of the coronavirus. Dr. Bagashri Navakli is the medical director of the Office of Infection Prevention at UMMC. The few um, steps or important things which we have focused on is one, identification, which is the most important piece. Uh, identification which can occur as soon as possible when a patient enters into any healthcare facility. So uh, we have developed a screening tool uh, where a patient who walks into the emergency department or to an outpatient clinic will be asked whether the patient has traveled to any uh, outside outside of United States in the past 30 days. If they answer yes, they will be specifically asked whether that was China. And this is uh, subject to change based on CDC recommendations. Uh, if they did travel there, uh, we will ask them regarding symptoms, if they have fever, cough, shortness of breath. If they do fit into that criteria, uh, there would be concern regarding coronavirus, uh, uh, from uh, the novel coronavirus, and we would uh, put a mask on the patient and immediately uh, go 
immediately move them to an isolation room. Preferably, a negative pressure room is what is recommended. Uh, however, we will wait for a private room, and then uh, we'll be contacting the provider has been asked to contact the Infection Prevention Department as well as Mississippi Health Department for further guidance. Uh, once that isolation happens, we have been working on a workflow so that that patient can be uh, safely as well as securely transferred to an uh, inpatient uh, room. At least one Mississippi school district is taking proactive steps in preparing safety measures and crisis management plans related to the coronavirus threat. Robert Chapman is the public information officer for Clinton Public Schools. He tells our Kobe Vance the district is sharing information and working on their plan. We are in the process of developing a plan for the entire district. There is policy in place already under our crisis management system, so we are building off of that foundation for this very specific type of sickness. Um, But a lot of uh, the preventative measures that have been sent out from our um, our district nurse, such as, you know, washing your hands, staying at home when you're sick, which is very important, not touching your eyes, mouth, or nose, cover cough uh, and your sneeze and your elbow, throwing away tissues, and then washing your hands after you use a tissue. Just like a little common sense, good, uh, good advice has been put in place right now. But again, there, are, there is a developing plan right now that uh, is piggybacking off of our district policy through our crisis management system. And uh, as far as like students go, are y'all uh, talking with students directly, talk, uh, trying to explain them like, uh, uh, how to prevent disease spread? Yes, we do that regularly. Um, our our elementary teachers are very good about wiping down surfaces um, with Clorox wipes and uh, disinfectant wipes when classes change or when they go to different activities, cleaning off door handles, and then making sure that each child washes their hands before and after lunch and after using the restroom. And then also for parents, uh, what, what are you all telling parents about, um, you know, if we, I guess, what are you all telling parents in this time? During this time, since this outbreak is occurring across the nation, just, again, use common sense, wash your hands. Um, it treated almost like a flu scenario, but as we move forward and that plan gets more details, we will share that. And uh, if, a, if a child does feel sick and uh, y'all see symptoms, what, what, is the, what do y'all do if y'all see symptoms in a child that might, might match this uh, disease? First of all, if a child is sick, the, the best thing they can do is stay home and then contact a physician. The other thing is that if we see any type of symptoms that are inside the classroom, uh, our teachers and our staff are very good at contacting family members, uh, letting them know about the, um, the symptoms that are being present and to, to come and get their child so that their par- the parents are not left out in the cold. And now, uh, if, the, if the disease... I know in Japan they're already discussing shutting down schools and uh, having students just stay home uh, for a while until the disease can be dealt with. Um, If that kind of thing does, if the outbreak does happen in Mississippi and it's uh, to that extent, um, what what are students going to be looking at as far as getting their education outside of the schools? I think once it it does come, if it does come to that level, um, the plans and the policies that are in place through our crisis management systems will be um, used to to kind of to further go on with that. That, that um, plan is being put in, in development right now. Robert Chapman is the public information officer with Clinton Public Schools. The Department of Health will be providing updates on the disease on their website and through the Mississippi Ready app. Coming up, a bill to renew the education scholarship account gets debated in the Senate. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi lawmakers are in the first stages of rewriting the state's special needs voucher program. Educational scholarship accounts, or ESAs, provide about $6,500 to help students with private schools tuition or services. A state oversight agency found there was little accountability. Republican Senator Dennis DeBar of Leaksville chairs the Education Committee. He shares some of the new bill's uh, revisions with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Basically, it's going to allow a parent to place their child um, in a state of Mississippi school, whether it be a private school or some type of state-accredited school, where they can get the, the educational services they need for their special, special needs child. In the past, there was a concern that there wasn't enough oversight of the program and that students were going to private schools not getting the services and there was waste. Well, that, that's correct. And um, this is not the bill that was passed in 2015. Um, we put a lot more accountability in it, uh, not only on the schools that are the ESA school, but on ensuring the child is receiving the, the, stu- the services they need, that child needs. Um, we want accountability. We want to make sure we're using our taxpayer money wisely, and ultimately the child is getting the services they need at that school. So if a school uh, holds itself out as providing SPED services, special needs, special education, uh, then they need to be providing that service to that child. They can't not just take the money, the ESA scholarship money, and ask the public schools to come in there and provide the services for that child. They need to provide that services, and they, and they need to certify that uh, to the Department of Education. I also heard in there that if that does occur, then they have to reimburse public schools. Is that correct? Well, what that happens is say a, a child um, is enrolled in a school uh, for a week or a month then leaves that school and says, well, it's not working. Um, the parent removes that child from that special purpose school, puts that child back in the public school, that money follows the child, and the money shouldn't just stay with that ESA school, the private school. It's going to follow that child back to the public school because the public school then is going to be responsible under the law to educate that child. So they should receive the money. And there's a list of schools that um, folks would have to refer to. They are still considered schools that uh, people could use the vouchers for. Yeah, they are. They are. They are. The, the kids are doing well in those schools, and we don't want to punish the kids for the for the actions of a few bad actors. That, that would not be fair to those kids. What else is in this bill that stands out to you that's very different from the previous bill that you wanted to make a point of inserting? The, the, the online schools are, are no longer allowed. That was a big issue. We were finding that there were online schools in Tennessee and different states that were providing services and getting paid from state of Mississippi taxpayer money. Uh, so with that and, and the fact that we're providing so much accountability and, and ensuring that the money is being used for the purpose it needs to be used for. Now, when you say co- accountability, who's accounting and how's that being done? Well, it's the responsibility is on the parents. 
as well as the, the ESA school to ensure that they are providing the services for that special needs child that they hold themselves out to be doing. If they're not, then they don't need to be providing that service, and we need to do something for that child differently. Will the Mississippi Department of Education be more involved in oversight? They will because they will have they they do the state accreditation for these schools that choose to get accredited, and the, the ones that are not accredited will have to certify to the department that they are providing those child disabled uh, services for that disability. Absolutely. Republican Dennis DeBar chairs the Senate Education Committee. The new ESA bill puts more accountability in the hands of the Mississippi Department of Education. Pete Smith is the Chief of Government Relations and Communications at MDE. He tells our Desiree Frazier the changes to the program are welcomed. Well, I think the changes are definitely a step in the right direction. You know, the Department of Education was at the table when the bill was first being drafted some five years ago. And uh, we have no issue with children being able to go to a a different school to get the services that they need. Our main issue was making sure that there was accountability put in the bill so that we are, so the taxpayers are ensured that the students that are leaving public schools, going to these other schools or getting other services, are making sure that their IEPs are being met and they're progressing academically, which is, I think, is the whole intent of the bill. So uh, I think with this new rewrite, um, the Department of Education, uh, uh, you know, is is very uh, in support of this new accountability piece in the bill. And what happened? There were some, I guess, loopholes in the previous bill. The peer report found that it wasn't getting getting the oversight that it needed. What is the change that's going to make it better? Well, uh, from MDE's perspective, the change is certainly the accountability piece. Now, uh, students will be required to take a a pre-test once they enter into a a private school or enter into some sort of other service, and then they have to take a post-test. And then all of that data is submitted to the Department of Education, so then we can determine, put a a report together, and, you know, and and, uh, submit it to the public so the taxpayers can see that uh, these children are actually, these schools are actually meeting the needs of these children. It's a kind of a record of how the children are progressing, if they're progressing? That's correct. I mean, just like public school kids, we have tests uh, at the end of the year to determine if they're growing proficiently in English and math and reading. Uh, and, and, and other subjects, and so this would be no different. How can parents apply? So you go on our, on our website. Uh, it's right there on our homepage at www.mdek12.org, and the full application as well as all the information that you need that a parent will need to submit to, uh, with the application is right there online. Do they submit it to the school or to MDE? No, submit it to MDE. This is uh, none of this is uh, this program is run through the Department of Education, uh, not this not the local school district. Pete Smith is with the Mississippi Department of Education. Coming up, the 2020 Poetry Out Loud State Champion. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Get your MPB car tag anytime. It doesn't even have to be up for renewal. Simply go to your county office to sign up. When you get an MPB car tag, a portion of the fee helps MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. For details, visit mpbonline.org slash car tag. We'll see you on the road.
A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Morgan Love left her home school of Murrah in Jackson to attend the Mississippi School of the Arts in Brookhaven. This week, she returned to the capital city for the state Poetry Out Loud finals and walked away a champion. She shares her experience with MPB's Michael Guidry. Uh, it's, it's kind of surreal right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm not really, you know, fully there yet. I'll get there late, late, later, but... Um... I'm very just excited. I'm very on the edge right now. <laughs> very anxious. This was not your first time uh, mm-hmm. with Poetry Out Loud. You, you you have tried this before. This is the first time you've made it this far. Yes. Um, and you're a junior. Yes. What was what has been that process like to, to go from trying it in ninth grade to becoming a champion two years later? Um, I just think it really reflects my personal growth. Um. I have really bad anxiety sometimes when I'm talking to people. So to get up on a stage and come this far is really big for me. And I think it was just a mental thing that I had to get over. And now that I'm here, I'm just so proud of myself. And I really just, I'm really just so proud of myself. Poetry itself can be intimidating for, for a lot of people to read it, much less stand in front of people and recite it. Yeah. So what, what draws you to poetry or what has drawn you to poetry? Um, well, at the Mississippi School of the Arts, I am in the literary department, so I'm, I have to write poetry. And I, I guess it's always been just my love for writing that's always drawn me to it. And the words are just so, so creative and so colorful that I just have to listen to them and I have to, I have to read them. And for the poems that I chose for Poetry Out Loud, it was just the message behind them. All three of them spoke to me in some type of way so I could relate to all of them. And it kind of just drew me in to really tell that story that the poet was trying to tell. And it just it just speaks to my heart in a way, and it always has, and it always will. And to be able to recite those pieces and project the message that the poet was originally trying to project is just amazing and it's just so surreal to me your third round piece what specifically drew you to that piece why did you choose that one there's a line in the piece that says and the world has taken my father my friends and it really spoke to the recent change in my life uh, from moving from my old school to my new school a lot of my friends that I used to have aren't my friends now so I feel like you know a part of that just has really left me and um, my relationship with my father. And that kind of just spoke to me all together. And that specific line, I just knew that in some way that this poem was right for me. You're off to Washington, D.C. Is there anything aside from the competition that you're looking really for, uh, looking forward to about visiting the nation's capital? Yes. Uh, my sister goes to school there at Howard University, and I don't really get to see her throughout the year because it's expensive flying to and from Mississippi. So I just know when I go, I'm going to see her, and that's just, I'm so excited about that. You're a junior. Yes. Will you be back again next year? <sighs> We're going to see. I don't know. Um, the way I did it this year was it's actually a requirement. It's a grade for us at um my school. So that's why I was in it this year. And it's only for juniors. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to, I don't know. All right. Well, I think 
required to to do this, and mm-hmm. you're walking away <laughs> a champion, a champion, and with a trip to D.C. and a, yeah. a shot at a national championship. Yeah, Morgan Love, 2020 Poetry Out Loud champion, state of Mississippi. Congratulations thank and thank you. you. Thank you so much. Love's final round piece was a recitation of "I Am Learning to Abandon the World" by Linda Paston. I am learning to abandon the world before it can abandon me. Already I have given up the moon and snow, closing my shades against the claims of white. And the world has taken my father, my friends. I have given up melodic lines of heels, moving to a flat, tuneless landscape. And every night, I give my body up, limb by limb, working upwards across bone towards the heart. But morning comes with small reprieves of coffee and bird song. A tree outside the window, which was simply shadow moments ago takes back its branches twig by leafy twig. And as I take my body back, the sun lays its warm muzzle on my lap as if to make amends. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.